anxiety is definitely on the rise for children. And it is absolutely to do with our with our lives now. We're much less present. Devices have a lot of blame in that. They take us out of our present world and into a very different space where we're thinking about the future or we're thinking about the past. And the brain doesn't do well in those two spaces. We're doing it more and more. And there's also, you know, some some technology out there, social media, uh, which does tend to promote um, challenging mental health issues like, for instance, how we compare ourselves to others. And that can be quite negative. Hello and welcome to Mum Life, a podcast for ambitious mums navigating the sweet and messy journey of motherhood. I'm Leonie Kidanor, and each week I will bring you conversations with mums and parenting experts about the highs and lows of motherhood and tips to make our lives that little bit easier. Hi everyone, I hope you've had a great week. Today, I'm having an interesting chat with Dr. Louise Metcalf about all things anxiety. Louise has been a practicing psychologist for over 30 years and realized that there was a real issue in anxiety, particularly in children. So for that reason, Louise actually developed an app called George to support children in managing their anxiety. We talk about anxiety in adults, how we can better support our children with their mental health. Just before we jump into the convo, I wanted to give you a quick mum life moment. So bit of success in our household last week. Our two children have migrated into the one bedroom. I'm embarrassed to say that for the last year, Charlie, our nearly one-year-old, has been sleeping in our room. It migrated from a bassinet to a travel cot. And because everyone was sleeping through the night, I didn't want to rock the boat. But Jules, my husband, was brave enough to put the two boys in the one room a couple of days ago. We had a conversation with Noah, our two and a half year old, and we told him it's really important to stay nice and quiet because he'll be helping Charlie sleep if he stays nice and quiet. And for some reason, weirdly, it's been working everyone's sleeping. So I don't know, I may have more to report on that front going forward, but I'm taking those damn wins as they come. (laughs) All right, let's jump into the episode. Louise, welcome to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you here with us today. Hi, Leonie. It's brilliant to be here. I'm so excited. You are a mother yourself and also you've been a psychologist for almost 30 years, which is a lifetime of expertise right there. Um, And what I'm really excited to get into actually is your new venture around your app um, to support kids um, and help them manage anxiety. So very interested in sort of delving deeper into that. But first and foremost, I'm just curious, and you probably get this question a lot being a psychologist, um, what has your journey been like? Like, have you always been interested in sort of the anxiety aspect of mental health? Where did you start out and how did you end up where you are today? Well, oh my gosh, it's such a long story, you know, like (laughs) nearly 30 years there. But (laughs) well, when I first, oh, I I really fell into psychology. I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere 
and didn't know what I was going to do at university. I didn't even think I was going to get to university, actually. <laughs> mm. So I, um, yeah, I really, I really fell into university, fell into psychology and fell in love with it. So I became really, really obsessed. I still am. I still read, you know, a lot of psychology stuff in my downtime, which is, yeah, really weird, but it's, it's just <laughs> something I find fascinating. So mm. um, when, I, when I left my degree and uh, already, already had been uh, doing some things in counselling for a while before then, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew that I was really fascinated with people and how diverse people were and how beautiful that was and mm. how and that and the and the always the the desire to be better. I don't think I've met a single human being that didn't have that desire. And then there's this second part of like how do you change, right? It's, it is it can be really challenging to change and I think I think alongside my love of humans and the amazing brain um, I really fell in love with this this amazing thing of like how human beings change because I did my some of my early counseling in drug and alcohol and you can see how that's one of the toughest areas of change you know addiction and it was really a great place to start really grounding. <laughs> but really yeah. a great place to start. And I, and I also did a lot of work with um, in my early years with people who experienced severe trauma. It's kind of related. Um, and even working with Vietnam vets at the time, which was really, oh, wow. yeah, really brilliant. And that kind of fascination for the brain and for change took me in some really interesting places. Like I've worked internationally in organisational change as well. Uh, so places like the Philippines and Indonesia, uh, really interesting places. And, of course, eventually it took me to the, the really interesting problem of climate change and how we get people to, to you know, embrace something which is, you know, a real challenge, a really, really complex idea. So, and I did a lot of that work for the United Nations as well. So, it's, it's wow, been, you've been it's around been town, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so, from climate change, the UN, where to from there? Well, I've never really stopped counselling. So, always in the background, mm. I'm still working with, with, with them, um, you know, just regular people, families, children, trying to help them with change as well. So, mm. yeah. So, um, Around the time that I finished working with the UN, I actually had my little boy and then, uh, yeah, and then it was a real transition into, into motherhood. And that's where I really discovered, I mean, as a psychologist, I knew childhood anxiety seemed more, but I have to confess, I didn't look at the rates. And when I started taking my own kid to early childcare, that was when I really, it really clicked because every conversation I had was about childhood anxiety. People would say, what do you do? I'm a psychologist. And then it's, oh my God, I need to talk to you. And it was always about childhood anxiety. So that was when it really clicked for me that something that I'd been seeing in my practice, you know, fairly regularly and notice it was increasing a bit was actually a real phenomenon and it was right across Australia 
and it was actually right across the world. So that really shook me, actually. It really, really shook me. And that's that's what brought me to really focusing on childhood anxiety now. That is fascinating. So just around anxiety in general, even in adults and children, do you think it's because of the way we're living today that it's more prev- is it more prevalent than our parents' generation, the generation before, or is it just that it's less taboo now and people are more open about their mental health sort of, you know, issues, concerns, et cetera? What's your thoughts on that? Well, it's a little bit of both, I think. You do see, you know, more openness in people as they come into therapy now. You know, they're more interested in the process and what it can do and they see psychologists more as partners in, in you know, a good life rather than someone who might judge you or, you know, kind of um, say difficult things to you. So that's definitely getting better. But we do know that it is definitely, uh, you know, an, an actual increase of an illness. Computers have a lot of blame in that. They take us out of our present world and into a very different space where we're thinking about the future or we're thinking about the past. And the brain doesn't do well in those two spaces if we have to do it a lot. So we're doing it more and more. And there's also, um, you know, some some technology out there, social media, uh, which does tend to promote um, challenging mental health issues like, for instance, how we compare ourselves to others. And that can be... Yeah, quite negative. Um, I had someone as a, uh, you know, a, a client of mine describe this as, yes, you know, what you see on inter- Instagram is the is the front window, you know, but we know that we you know the the back the back of the shop, and so we're comparing the, our back of the shop to their front window, you know, mm-hmm. and that's that's exactly true, and it really messes with you. It really really messes you, and it's very dominant these days. Very very dominant mm-hmm. indeed. There's also yeah. a, a big emphasis on achievement for children now, which is very different to how it used to be. You can hear me describe my childhood. I wasn't so interested in school. But these days there's quite a big emphasis on kids doing well at school and there are even, you know, tests um, that go right across all schools which then compare schools and that makes everybody in the school even more conscious of it. So, yeah, it's definitely a very changed world. It's interesting that you say that about the um, the pressure on getting being a successful child now. And it's funny because, I mean, I have openly spoken about this on the podcast, but I experienced quite severe um, prenatal depression and anxiety. And I wonder actually if it's just because my hormones and everything was changing. The anxiety has probably been with me my whole life. Um, even from, if I think about it now, it probably never had a label to it at the time, but I mean, my parents were immigrants. We can you know, they kept, my mum was born in this country. However, you know, left, came back as, as an adult, my dad had came with her and there was a huge amount of pressure and stress around building something for our family around hard work, work ethic and all of that. And so as a child for me, my job essentially was to succeed 
in school. And what that meant was get an A plus in every aspect to ensure that, you know, I was pleasing everyone and I was going to ultimately set myself up in the, with the right trajectory of having that financial security in the future. So I guess, you know, always parents do the very best they can with the information that they've got, but essentially that pressure in, um, ensuring that I was studying as often as I could and I was getting the results as often as as well as I should have been, I guess led to this underlying anxiety that's, as I said, probably been with me my whole life. And it's interesting now that you're saying that you're seeing more of that in our everyday children who are, you know, born and bred in, in Australia, you're noticing that this whole results-based parenting <laughs> is becoming more prevalent. Why do you think that is, I mean, it's clear for me, I mean, I, my parents didn't come from this country, so, and they, they had nothing and they had to build something, but for the families that are comfortable and are set up, and obviously they want the best for their children, but why do you think it's changed recently? Mm. Yeah, it used to be that, you know, you could aspire to kind of being, you know, the an average, an average person, and that was enough. You know, that was actually great because you were part of the community and and of course we you know, our neighbours next door were average people and we loved them, you know, so that was actually fine. These days that is very different. Um, kids want to be not average. No, they want to be, um, and it's not all kids, but it's certainly on the rise. Kids, most kids now want to be, you know, A players. They want to be on YouTube. They want to have large numbers of followers. You know, they, they have a sense of that they should be some kind of leader. And, um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but with the combination of social media, you get very strange perceptions of reality. So instead of wanting to be, you know, someone who is, um, you know, possibly a doctor in your community, which used to be the whole, you know, what you wanted to be, Mm. that was kind of the the highest level being the the local GP. Mm. These days, you know, kids want to be influencers. They want to be internationally known, you know, and uh, and they want to be um there's there are lots of like there's famous famous kids on the internet you know there's a, a guy called Ryan in the UK who does toy reviews and i think every kid in australia has seen one of Ryan's toy reviews at some stage <laughs> mm. and they have a sense that this is this is what they should aspire to they should aspire to being this level of success and it's it's a strange kind of view of success because most success isn't achieved by, you know, producing videos and, and absolutely no negative comment on Ryan. I think he's gorgeous and, and <laughs> fabulous. But <laughs> most people's success is achieved through a lot of hard work, actually, a lot of hard work and, you know, take some of the the really, you know, big, um, you know, um, sort of CEOs around the world. They, they didn't kind of come out of high school and suddenly become CEOs. They struggled for a long time to get there. In fact, if you look at the statistics, mostly most people, if they achieve success, don't achieve it until they're 40. So it's a very strange kind of reality that kids are kind of immersed in. And as a result, they can feel very pressured to 
to basically be very not average. <laughs> and, um, mm. and yeah, that's a really hard task. It's a really, really hard task. They're basically asking them to be lucky. And that's, that's really the one in the million, right? Yeah, you know, like, the, <laughs> so you think it's actually them putting their own pressure on themselves. It's not necessarily you're noticing, at least in the field that parents are saying more parents now are saying you need A pluses, you need to get X in your U12 score. It's not necessarily a shift there, is it? It's more that technology is creating these little people that want to, you know, be the one in the million. Is that is that what you're finding? Yeah, there's definitely more emphasis mm. on individual achievement. Um, mm. For parents, though, there are always going to be some parents who are really pushing their kids to get those A pluses. And I think for parents there's a little bit of social pressure also coming from social media about kids who don't perform as well as other kids. So, you know, you, you do see a lot of, um, you know, parental pride, you know, oh, look at my, my child did, you know. And so there are parents out there who kind of compare and go, oh, gosh, you know, my child isn't sort of up to that level. You know, what does that mean? Is my child sort of, um, you know, struggling? Do I need to get them help? Which can create a, a kind of a nasty little spiral of, you know, uh, expectation that becomes very negative. So it's it's never a bad thing for a parent to be proud, but because we're so heavily connected to so many people now, you see that a lot more often. And again, it gives you a strange view of reality. You know, you might see one person post one one thing that their kid did. They won cross country, you know, um, mm. and and maybe they don't post anything else for the rest of the year. But there'll be another kid that wins cross country somewhere else and so they post that up and what you do what the brain the brain does in that situation is it doesn't go oh well it's just one kid from one family and this other kid from this family the brain goes oh there's a pattern here kids are doing well in cross country my kid is not doing well in cross country oh my gosh where we need help we're weird and so push, push, push starts to happen from the parents. So there, there is a, there's just strange perceptions of reality that kind of, you know, affect the brain. And the brain is, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a decision engine. And sometimes it makes decisions very well and sometimes it makes decisions very badly. And often it's down to the environment that it's in that it makes those decisions not so well. And social media is one of those bad environments. So. That's how it all kind of fits together. It is very much that a factor of modern life. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? So just on that, like as a parent, is it, I mean, I'm just trying to think how do we better manage uh, that thought process? I know, as you said, it can be quite automatic. It's like, oh my gosh, everyone is getting, you know, winning this race or everyone, you know, so what's going on with my kid? What do you tell parents who come to you with, with those concerns? Yeah, so psychologists do a lot of grounding these days. Um, and we do it by statistics. Like we just say things like, you know, you do realize that most people, if they're going to be successful, don't reach it until they're 40. So we, we use statistics to kind of show this is what reality really looks like. And, you know, what you're viewing on social media is very different to reality. So if we can educate parents, there's quite often a process of educating parents because children obviously have younger brains 
and it's often hard for them to um, regulate some of their emotional reactions to social media. So we encourage parents to kind of, you know, be very mindful about how they use social media. How often do they use it? What are they using it for? What are they thinking about when they're when they're using social media? What what is what's the feelings that it gives them? And then you can talk to your child. So once you know that, yeah, sometimes I'm using social media and I start to think there's a pattern here that that all kids are starting to win cross country. Um, you know, sometimes that my brain does that, but I know that's wrong because most kids do not win cross country. Most kids, you know, obviously don't come first, right? It's only one kid that can come first. So mathematically, most kids do not win cross country. And so, you know, once parents can understand what their brain is doing, they can be more present, more mindful, and they can take that knowledge to their child and explain the mechanisms of social media. That's what that's really what we encourage these days. Really knowledgeable parents that they can then help their kids to navigate a very complex and algorithmically driven universe. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does really come back to the point you were saying around getting back into the present moment and forgetting about future past. And that's how I experience anxiety. I'm very future focused. And mm-hmm. I feel like I do that because I'm like wanting to anticipate what's going to happen so I can control it. So it can all be perfect according <laughs> to my schedule and my time. And this is where I think with children, like it's really thrown me for six because there you can, you can only anticipate oh so much. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think, I mean, interested to understand that's how I, so I'm always future focused and I have to bring myself into the present. But when I'm future focused, I'm anxious as hell because all that stuff hasn't happened yet, but I'm anxious about it anyway. So is that how, what is the definition for anxiety? I mean, you said it could be future or past. What are sort of the things that people can be looking for if they're noticing sort of patterns in their behavior, but potentially haven't even named it anxiety? Mm, so lots of there are lots of scientific definitions, obviously, mm-hmm. but the um the one that's more you know um you know sort of for for everyone, which I find really useful, is you're worrying about the future, like you're thinking about the future, but it's all negative. That describes mm-hmm. anxiety really well, because mm-hmm. you can sometimes do sometimes I challenge you know adults who have anxiety to track their thoughts. Anxiety is this sort of, you know, thinking about the future, but it's all negative. And I do mean it's like it's all negative. So you mm-hmm. don't balance. You just focus on the negative. So, yeah. so if I was to give you an example, um, my anxiety that's just come to mind as you were talking was talking about the social media bit or all of a sudden my stomach went Ugh, because I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be bringing up two boys in this social media age. Um, how am I going to manage that? I'm stressed. I'm stressed now. They're One's 10 months and one's two. And I'm already like, I'm stressed. Okay, how am I going to manage that in 10 years' time? Okay, now I'm worried. Now I can't get out of that spiral of thinking. Now, and then it's, and then also like, and then what happens when they're teenagers and then they don't want mum anymore and they don't want hugs from mum anymore. And then they're all locked up in their rooms. And then now I'm stressed about that. And I'm stressed about teenagers. Yeah. And I'm stressed, and it's like 10 years away, right? And then what do you do? <laughs> oh, I'll just go get some chocolate or I'll just, I'll just go have a wine or I just, you know, I need to distract, right? Right, so that is love the that chocolate. is like, yeah. Or, or yeah, the chocolate, right? Or I'll go for a run or whatever, right? To so like pull myself out of that. That's how I tend to deal with 
things. That's so not a bad I'm strategy. curious. It's not bad because <laughs> you're more present, right? You're enjoying your chocolate or your yeah. wine, or you're just yeah, yeah, exactly. Or you're really good one. Correct, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, just in those moments, what do you recommend? Because you were sort of alluding to the fact that you do need, you need to pull yourself out, mm-hmm. um, and then you need to really think about: is this life or death? And is this a five percent chance? Or is this something I really need to worry about right now? So, I mean, another strategy I've used in the past is writing my concern down. And then once it's on the paper, it's like, oh, it's on the paper. Okay. Now it doesn't have to be in my head. And now I can think rationally about a few solutions. Um, curious as to your thoughts around some tips around that too. Yeah. That's a really good technique to write it down because anxiety does thrive in the dark. So the Mm. more you can make it clear, like what am I specifically worried about? The, the, the more your brain will be able to challenge the thought. So that's a really good technique. Absolutely great to write it down. Okay, so with your example, right, there are some things in here that are really rational. Like it's totally very right to be concerned about social media because we know it's not healthy. It's it's definitely not the healthiest thing. I love that Facebook connects me to my old friends from school, right? But And that is a good thing to increase your community. But unfortunately, they use all these algorithms and show you things that um, can really mess with your head. So, yeah, good bits and bad bits. So so the rational part is social media isn't the healthiest thing. It's a bit like junk food, basically. So you don't worry so much about junk food in teenage years, though. You can see see how that's already starting to to balance things a little bit. Um, But... Okay, thinking about the future and it's all negative. So social media in the future, the truth is we have no idea what it will look like, absolutely no idea. And Facebook might not even exist and Instagram might not even exist. So, and we, we may not even be looking so much at screens. We may It may turn out to be, you know, more kind of like, I think they call it augmented reality these days. Mm. So where you, it kind of interacts with you, but it's not so much in your face. So technology changes all the time. And you can see how I'm balancing your thought here, right? I'm showing mm. you that there's a question mark about what the future would look like. And it could look much more positive than the future that's sort of whirring around in your head right now. The hardest part of this process, though, is challenging the thought because we usually get very caught up in our emotions and our thinking connects to our emotions, you know, so, so well. And so they can really gang up on each other and just sort of spiral and spiral. So challenging, actually stopping and challenging the thought is the hard part. So how does anxiety look in children? Is it that children are also worried about the future? If I think about my childhood, I was always worried about getting that A plus, about coming first, about being the best, about, and if I wasn't the best getting the A plus, I was very hard on myself. So is that, what it, what does it look like in children these days? Yeah. So usually children have great imaginations. They're much more imaginative than adults. And they're also very conscious about pleasing adults. All kids are like that. Um, you know, sometimes we have kids who have um, an oppositional disorder and, and parents can often think, oh, my child does not want to please me. But the truth is all kids want to please their their adults because 
they love you and they actually love to see you happy and, and you know, enjoying your life as well. So, um, so basically in children, they tend to be good at using imaginative play to kind of explore their world, but they'll often hide their worries from their, their loved ones. So the, the things that you want to pay attention to are things like, is, are things different? So different at school, you might have different sort of appetite, either increased appetite or um, significantly reduced appetite. Um, and you might have things that they stop doing or they, they say they, they just do not want to do. So they're, they're good indicators that something might be going on and it's worthwhile exploring. So we encourage parents to just sort of sit down with their kids and kind of go, hmm, things are a bit different. You know, what can you tell me about that? What is what is happening for you? And if you, you know, if they're still very concerned about pleasing you, then then it is good to just take them to a psychologist and maybe just one visit might be enough to kind of understand what's happening. So it's it's that's the that's the indicators. Things are kind of different, particularly when kids are not as verbal as as you know as they might be so when kids are very verbal though and they if they do not so concerned about pleasing you as a parent they will tell you that they are worried about things um not wanting perhaps not wanting to go to school because school feels negative maybe it's dance class feels negative you know things like that and then you just kind of you know keep keep sort of you know very respectfully very you know kindly kind of inquiring about their world and what's happening for them and then obviously try to help. Um, you can also use play. So remember I mentioned imaginative play is very strong in children. You can also use play to kind of get at, you know, what does happen in dance class? You know, can you show me? Let's use the dolls. And, uh, and yeah, they might explain, you know, and then she says this horrible thing, you know, like mm. your foot will never be pointed enough or something. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can start to understand what's happening. So how is that different to just my kids having a bad day or a bad week and it's all right, they'll get through it? Like how is that, how is anxiety different to that? Yeah, that's a really good point actually because worrying about the future is really normal. You know, we, we, we always do that even if we are, you know, completely and utterly mentally healthy it really is a bit of a sign when it starts to mess with your life. So in kids, you really see it in messing at school. You know, th- things just aren't working out at school. They might be, you might have teachers saying they're very disruptive. You know, things just sort of aren't really coming together for them like they did. Um, and in adults, it's the same thing. You often see sleep difficulties, eating difficulties, difficulties getting to work, difficulties being at work you know, really distracted mind, that kind of thing. And in adults, often the thing that really, um, you know, picks up anxiety is panic. So most adults, when they come in for treatment with anxiety, have actually just had a panic episode. So obviously we get the physical things checked out first because there are some physical connections. But once they've been cleared, it's on to the, um, you know, the psychological assistance and, yeah, that's when they're diagnosed with a panic disorder and then we start to, you know, talk about anxiety. Mm. Is there anything that differentiates anxiety as far as the symptoms go in children um, that really stands out to you 
I feel as though, I mean, seeing that your child, as I said, if they're sort of um, acting up a bit, et cetera, how do you know that's not, you know, ADD? How do you know it's not something else? And is this where you do see see your professionals to get sort of get, be able to narrow it down further? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. It's always good to kind of get that diagnosis from the professional rather than to try and guess, you know, is it this or is it that? Mm. If you if well, you Google know it. that something's <laughs> off. Yeah, Mr. Google, Dr. Google. <laughs> if you sort of sense, oh, yeah, something's off, mm. parents are usually good judge of that, then it is a very good idea to just take them along to the GP and then along to the psychologist. Or if you're lucky, lucky enough to have a paediatrician, they're so hard to get these days. But, yeah, to kind of, you know, to put those pieces together with the help of a professional is the best way to go. Having said that, though, there's two-thirds, two-thirds of kids, epidemiologists tell us, uh, two-thirds of kids actually would be diagnosed with an anxiety condition um, that totally miss out. So. They're so good at the imaginative play, so good at presenting that good face to parents and teachers that they totally get missed out. So, and that's actually, I'm, I'm trying to find those kids at the moment, which is one of the reasons why I actually invented George. Mm, so when you say miss out, they're disguising it really well so no one's picking it up? Yes, yeah, yeah. So good at disguising. Yeah. It's a problem. So, so yeah. So what, but because I think I was probably one of those kids. I mean, no one said anything was wrong with me. Just carry on, get on with it, go get your A pluses, go win the races, you know. And so yeah. no one knew that internally I was struggling. Why is it important? I mean, this might sound like an ignorant question, but why was it important to find someone like me as a child yeah, absolutely. So it, we know that if we can impact even the slightest, you know, level of an anxiety condition in a child as early as possible, if we can take action as early as possible, then kids do so much better. So they do better in their friendships. They do better in relationships with their family. They do better at school. They do better even in later schools. So if you um, remain undiagnosed with your anxiety condition as a child, you are 50% less likely to complete high school and you are 80% wow. less likely to complete your university degree if you, you know, if that's wow. the road that you take. Yeah. So it has Jeez. really big impacts. And if we can just get kids early enough, we can prevent so much and, and really, really help them in school and really, really help them in life. So it is such, such an important thing to find these kids. But they are so, so good at, uh, you know, hiding it. So it is a challenge, but, mm. hey, I'm up for a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm very keen to get talking about George. Just the thought came to mind. You mentioned, I'm just curious about the triggers, right, and why anxiety may exist in one child versus another. So mm. you mentioned earlier social media in, let's say, more the teenage years, let's say, could be potentially a trigger for a child to maybe get anxiety that way. I, I might be putting words in your mouth so you can absolutely clarify. But I'm, I'm curious that you mentioned that with your little one in daycare, you were having parents come up to you talking about anxiety. 
I'm assuming these kids aren't on social media. So like, what are the triggers that you're seeing out in the field? Yeah, this is so interesting. The the, the um, Australian Productivity Commission actually released a report in late 2019 that flagged that they want to start testing kids as young as four years old for depression and for anxiety because we have recognised that it's starting to impact earlier than ever before. In early childhood, it tends to look more like tantrums and things that children just will not do. Is there anything we can be doing as parents, particularly, I mean, a, a, lot, a lot of our audience have, you know, babies and toddlers and things that we can be doing and be a bit more mindful of as we're bringing up our children. I know you can't probably prevent, you know, anxiety or anything that happens to them, but certainly sort of creating a good environment and culture at home. Yeah, look, the important thing to kind of really get here is that, and this is what really freaked me out as a psychologist, When I looked at the rates of incline, what's very clear is either we've all become crap parents or it has very, very little to do with parenting. So as a parent, it's important not to get too, not to get the sense that if your child has anxiety, then it's all your fault and the finger should be pointed or something, because that's simply not true. We didn't all become crap parents right? We actually do a pretty good job. It's just that the world is very, very different. So the thing that I tell very early parents is I know it's a challenge. I know this is hard information, but you have to get your own anxiety under control because particularly in the early um, stages of life, where children get their calmness from, so focus on calmness, don't focus on anxiety, And where children get their calmness from is from your own heartbeat. So that self-calming, you should take that very seriously as a parent. So you launched your app, George, last September. Congratulations, by the way. It's no easy feat to to launch (laughs) an app. I mean, it's so hard. Um, So George is actually, um, well, when he was launched, he was six years in the making. So it took six years wow. to get to that point. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and yeah, so here we are, here we are now, and he's actually launched and operating and helping mm. kids, which is awesome. Mm. Um, and he's built with over 800 children in Australian schools. So he's, he's very much built with kids, you know, kids mm. hand in hand, which has been very grounding. Mm. Sometimes they say we've got it completely wrong, which <laughs> I love. <laughs> No, that's amazing. So I'm I'm a seven year old child. I'm experiencing anxiety or just in just generally feeling a little bit off. I get your app. What's the process around it? Well, what you would do is you would say to your mum or dad, um, you know, I would love to try this app, and they downloaded. George introduces himself to the parent mm-hmm. and explains mm-hmm. how how he works to the parent. And then he says, it's time to hand me over to your kid. And then he introduces himself to the child and explains how he works to the child in sort of in in more childlike language. So, yeah, he's very sort of self-instructive. But he um, he's just super sweet. So he's very encouraging throughout everything that kids do on George. And that's why they, they love him. 
they, they love him because they can come home at, at night after a difficult day at school and they've got this cute little friend that will ask them how they're feeling, you know, and if, if they want to sort of go through some exercises around some of that stuff, including just reading a story about, yeah, say, being sad. So, yeah, yeah and he just balances their thinking. So it's like, okay, uh, this is the challenging thing that's going through your mind here's some good stuff as well and so they they can you know um have an, a helper in balancing their thinking um we've noticed too that he he does take so most children when they first start using george use him for panic because just like adults get recognized often first for panic it's the same for children so they they use him to calm down first but we've noticed that they rapidly stop using the calm down feature and they'll start just using the stories and the thought balancing techniques. This kind of thinking is a lot like learning to play a musical instrument. If you do it like once every now and then, it's still useful, right? You're still, you're still creating neural connections, but you won't be as good, you won't be as fluent unless you're using him like every day or every second day. So in the instructions for parents, we do encourage parents to nudge their car, their child a little bit, like, you know, have you talked to George today? Mm. So is the whole intention around having the app sort of, you know, another option for kids rather than seeing a psychologist and talking it out? And, and that can be very expensive as well for, you know, for families to have the app in your own home to be able to use it that frequently is, is that the reason why you've developed the app to begin with yeah so what we're seeing now is that there are incredible waiting lists for psychologists so most psychologists now you've got to wait for you know a good couple of months you know for child psychologists or child specialists you're looking at around about a year's wait and when I looked at the rates of increase alongside the way we, we actually educate and create psychologists, it was very, very clear that we just would never meet those numbers. Those things are never going to match. They would actually have to quadruple the number of master's degrees in Australia to achieve that. And they're not going to do that because it will create massive quality control pro uh, problems. So we need technology to boost the services that we've got. There's just no other way around that. And for kids, we need to get it to them earlier as well and so that you can see how this problem kind of compounds and, yeah, technology is the only solution. I love psychologists. I think they're awesome. But they, of course, but psychologists yeah. can't, can't do that. We, we can't make uh, time. We can't make time. You only have 24 hours in a day. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, exactly. That is amazing. So just being able to give a lot more people access a lot more quickly um, and, and to start the process immediately rather than be sitting on a waiting list. What is the cost and investment to parents who would like to, um, yeah, download the app? It does have a freemium version, which is just the managing of the panic um, because we don't, we don't want any kids to feel panic. And George, we know George is great at reducing that. So that's, that's totally free and always will be. Um, 
but if you want and he gets 10 10 of the um thought balancing exercises and uh they're for free as well and then you then you sign up for just uh, three coffees a month which is 14.99 a month right super super accessible we use that money to actually build more bits for kids really a very positive movement to actually help kids in an area which we know is just really honestly it feels like it's completely out of control at this point we Mm. we just need many many more solutions yeah well I guess first and foremost thank you for the work for the effort for the six years for the everything that you have contributed um in order to to look for a solution in this area I think you know the world certainly needs more people like you it sounds and you know I, I I thank you um you know, wholeheartedly as a parent myself, the more tools we've got out there and the more sort of support that we can give our our little people and ourselves, the better off we'll be. One of my dreams is that he actually can manage some of the negative parts of technology. Like he can actually say, you know, like, okay, I've noticed that when you use uh, Facebook or whatever, Mm. you know, your expression, you know, becomes more negative or your, what you say Mm. becomes more negative, you know, And that way, you know, we can really start to change this tidal wave of very negative effects of technology by putting the right power in people's hands to to make better decisions around the use of it. So that's one of my dreams. I guess in wrapping up, how can people find out more about you, George? Yes, please join us. Um, We're very communicative we love it when parents email and say, my kid wants this or can George do that? So get involved, you know, um, and the best way to do that is to go to our website, which is, you know, the three W's, www.georgegeorg.com. I think that's a weird way to spell George and it kind of is, but <laughs> <laughs> it's an acronym. It stands for yeah. Gentle to Humans emotion and thought organization and resilience guide and that will always be his role he will always be that character perfect i will pop all of those details in the episode notes so our listeners can uh, follow along and um thank you so much for your time for your expertise louise really appreciate it absolute pleasure i hope i've been a real help to someone that would be awesome Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe, leave us a review and give us five stars if you're feeling fancy. By subscribing to the podcast, every new episode will drop into your podcast library each week. Subscribing is also such an essential way for people to find us and to enable us to grow. Want to be part of the Mum Life community? Join our Facebook group and follow us on Instagram at Mum Life Podcast. Until next time, keep living your best mum life.